Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 2023 in some style and we are back. The Online Darts Live Lounge, me, Phil Bars, Jack Garwood and Lee Boyce, the first show of the new year and what a way to celebrate it boys it's not been a dull minute in darts by any stretch of the imagination and we've got to cram it all into two hours well boys it must be a new year we're not talking nonsense this time oh no we're going straight in for it today (laughs) and we're getting on with it i'm not even going to hide the fact that this is (laughs) no nonsense we, no nonsense. It doesn't matter how busy the show is. Normally, all we do is talk nonsense. Okay. Excuse, right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be fair. There's a fair chance we could get cancelled after tonight with the list of stuff we got to talk about. Speak for yourself, mate. I, I always handle the sensitive topics with dignity and without bullying anyone. Stupid. Yeah, so what you're saying... Hey, is, new year, new me. So what you're I saying is saying in that. two Mondays' time, it might just be me on. <laughs> Show, one, show 100 is just Lee stood in the middle of a stage going, um, we're really sorry, but the other boys are gone. The other boys got cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible impression. The other two have been Andrew Tated and just me. That's for illegal. Thank you very much. <laughs> he got cancelled off social before that. Um, but welcome along, chat room. Um, everyone is in. Happy New Year to you all. I hope you had a great Christmas and all that with family and friends. Uh, G Adventures is in. Kieran, how are we doing? Daniel, uh, Craig, Carl, welcome along. Uh, Lars is in. Fraser, Sam, how are we all doing? Alfred, Bob, uh, what else have we got? We've got HGV. Hope you are all good. Right, boys. What a few weeks it's been since the last live land we were all geared up for alexandra palace and now 
the World Championships is in the ledger. It is done. Woo! I mean, I genuinely don't know what to do with myself. I'm a bit lost. <laughs> I tweeted that about 11 o'clock last night. It was all over. I was like, right, what the bloody hell do we do now then? Uh, yeah, look, it's um, it's been emotional. I'm not going to lie. Six, 16, play, 16 days in that place does do your head in a little bit. Look, enjoyed every single minute of it, but it does get... That first nine days, you get to about day seven and you have no idea what's going on. Well, that's normally... So you, mate, you're, yeah. telling me, you, you're telling me you don't remember every dart of the Mickey Mansell, Ben Rob that started off the tournament, Phil? Is that what you're saying? Uh, right, I'm going to put it out there. We don't, what's the time, uh, Sonic? <laughs> Day one of the tournament, no, it wasn't about... Don't you dare. It's, only, it's only four minutes in, don't you dare. Day, day one of the tournament wasn't about the darts. It who drank the most. Oh my god! I'm not gonna lie. Dart players don't drink, Philip. Did you not see the interview? The Mansell special. He was absolutely <laughs> trolled on game one. It was like God forbid game two. Yeah, moving on. Well, it, it, it says it all. When the interviewer has the producer in the ear saying, wrap it up after two questions. Say nothing, mate. Uh, quite, do you know what? It was a bloody good performance, though. That's it. It played really well in that first round. Shocking in, oh, in round right, two. Right. It's about, yeah. it's about anything in the first round I do remember, though. So can we jump straight to about the last 16? Can you tell I'm I'm adamant to do 100 show on my own by throwing that question out at four minutes past eight? I thought if I start now, (laughs) Phil will be up there by nine. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be fair, the DRA Christmas party for next year or this year is getting added to quite early. Very early. Very early. It's, um... That was... (laughs) <laughs> that was only day one, remarkably. Um, so, right, it, it's, it's impossible for us to go through every single match of every single session. So up until the last eight or 16, what do you reckon? The last 16 was quite possibly the best round of the tournament, one of the best last 16s I've ever seen. So I think we sort of have to talk about that one. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Why, that's, why, that's why I asked the question, what are we going up to? So... You're about to speak it. Have a word with yourself. Um, now the wasp wasn't cold yet. We had the Ali Pali wasp back as well with its um full fan base in flow. Um, but before we we dissect games and whatever, massive shout out to the North American lads because I think North American darts made a real splash in this year's world, boys. smile and wave and nod yeah i think they did i think there were lots of undercurrent stories to this world championship and i guess the part of look back and why it wasn't one of the best ever is is no real big standout moments or, or big hyped up stories like we had josh rocks little run we, we had Bo fallon and lisa take part we had the north americans take part but nobody really did anything ridiculous if you know what i mean kim hybrex beat an under par defending world champion but the last time he was defending world champion he, he fell at pretty much the same stage so there wasn't any major major shocks i guess is the way to look at it 
And there wasn't really any ridiculous storylines that dominated at any point. But really, really impressed with the way that the North Americans acquitted themselves up on the stage. None of them were absolutely blown away. I thought the same for the Asian contingent as well, especially uh, the Filipino players. I thought they were absolutely superb. And the return of the Asian tour this year cannot come soon enough to get those guys playing regular steel tip in-person darts again because they're just solid. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. It was it, it was really good. I will say on the, the first two days especially... It was blooming freezing in there. Absolutely freezing. Even on stage, even Peter Wright said it in his post-match. We In the press room, it was that cold. We all had hat, gloves and scarves on. And they, Peter even came in and said it was freezing on stage, which brings me to the point that Keen Barry would be bitterly disappointed losing 3-1 to um, Grant Sampson. But you could tell it was cold because he couldn't open his fingers quick enough. His darts were going in at all kinds of angles. And yeah. He's not one to make excuses, but you could physically see it. Yeah, it was disappointing. I'm sure that's not the first time that he's been on the opening night, Gene Barry. And um, he got through that one last time, I want to say, then's beaten a couple of years back. Um, but it just wasn't a typical Team Barry performance. Um, as you said, I wasn't in the venue to, to know that it was that tall, but the, the levels throughout then. But Fair play to Grant Sampson, getting the opportunity, coming through the qualification, and then to do that, the pressure of playing on opening night. Um, we spoke about is it pro or Tom being on so early, but for Grant Sampson, it, it wasn't outstanding, was it? But Team Barry allowed him opportunities, and Grant stepped in to do so. And right, we talked about the regions, and we talked about promotion, and yeah. and South and South Africa is one of them where. Devon is doing great things for the sport. However, we've not seen, like we are in America, like we are in Asia, seeing the two, three, four, five players coming through. Um, hopefully now with Grant winning on stage, we might see more players from that region come through. Right, question for you both and the chat room. And by the way, I've got the question, but I don't know what the answer is. Mickey Mansell having to play twice on opening night, is it right? And is it fair? I understand that there's an issue that they want the champion to open up on opening night. But in a mag tournament of this magnitude and this much importance, is it right and fair that someone has to play twice on opening night of the World Championships? Not for me. I don't think so. It's also because you're playing twice against... Your second game is going to be against the defending champion or, or the world number one or, or whatever combination of things they are, they're going to be at least a defending champion. So you're at a massive disadvantage because any one of the other 32 seeds or whatever, yeah, top 32, you, you could be drawn against them. But yeah, not only are you guaranteed to play the number one seed, but you do have to play twice on an opening night. Look, if they hit form, they get going and they manage their time in between, then it could be an advantage. A couple of years ago, um, before they changed the format and it was shorter races those that were winning the shorter races and then doubling up on each night as a qualifier used to be one qualifier match to start with didn't it a couple of games and they yeah. take on a seed or whatever later on that was an advantage because that was a shorter race they had a bit of time to expose themselves and this a lot of the seeded players fell we barely saw any go this year and i, I think part of that is the comfort part of that is just 
a little bit disappointed with, with some of the qualifiers, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like it. I see why they do it. I see why it's a thing. Um, bit of tradition, I guess, but that traditions have been broken before. However, I don't see any other way you can do it because... That, that's what I said. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. Because I looked at that draw and there wasn't a single tie that stood out as good enough to open the World Championship as your your big game to look forward to on that night. And you want eyes on the tournament from the very from the word go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. I, I struggle to see what the sort of solution is, but for Mitty Manslaw Ben Rob, obviously before the game was played, one of those had to play the same length of what? The semi-finalist were going to play over that night against <laughs> two different opponents. Obviously, I'm sure the stats will show that the st- it's always going to be hard to look at it from a stats perspective because the seed should win that game if it's only that game played on the noise anyway, especially it being the reigning world champion. So it'd be very hard to look at it as a, just a sort of a how that sort of pans out. But we saw, and I know we sort of mentioned the the how drunk Mickey Mansell was, how much he had before we went on stage for that first day. But these players have got routines, whatever that may be. Yes, you know, let's not hide away from the fact that some of them would drink. They're preparing for a, a, a day that's going to last about an hour, roughly. They've then got to go off stage in two hours later, do a full preparation of them for that day. And it's such a difficult thing to do. We talked about the top player struggling with it on Grand Slam where it's a semi-final in the afternoon and you've still got four or five hours. For these, he's probably a little bit unfair, but I'm not sure on this one. And it's not very often between the three of us we've not got a solution or what we think would work better. But right now, it seems like we haven't for this. Until there's just one round where it's half and half, you're never going to get it because you're always going to have your world champion into that second round unless they win the world championship and are somehow outside the top 32 not going to bloody happen um, because of how heavily weighted the World Championship is. You, you're just not going to get it the other way. I do think this example in particular from this year is probably heightened a little bit by Mansour's previous performances and the, the, the things that evolved around that and, and the fine and the DRA involvement, etc. That that came because of that as well. Like At this point, the last time we went up there, was over-practiced, for want of a better word, got it completely wrong. So there's massive scrutiny on whatever he does up on that stage. And he prepped for, arguably, the biggest game of his season at that point. That was a £7,500 match. That's a big difference to somebody a lot further down the rankings than world number one. It was almost as if he prepped for that, he got the job done, and anything after that would have been a complete bonus. But not blasé or, or didn't care about it because it is the World Championship, but at that point, he'd won his match at the World Championship. You know how some Olympians win their race by just finishing it? It felt yeah. a little bit like that for me. Not that he's not capable, not that he, he hasn't got the ability or anything yeah. like that, but just given what's gone on with him in the past, that opening round, playing twice on that night, I just don't think it suited him at all. I suppose the only answer is, is the champion or the defending champion doesn't open up on night one. And night one is purely for first round games. See, that does work if it's an afternoon. But the minute that's an evening session, you have to start your tournament with 
something showcase to draw people in, especially at a time when you're competing with so many other sports in the UK? Yeah, it depends who's in that 32, i.e. Barney only just snuck in as a, as a seed. If Barney was in the other side of that and had to play in the first round, you've got a name there to promote your first night of darts. However, if you don't have that name, obviously these are still all very good players, but you want that name to sort of tick off the, the event. If you haven't got that in the first round, that really big name, then it, it becomes a bit of a struggle. I'm going to use Gob's Premier League argument here. The night was sold out before the draw was even done. It's not just from people in the crowd, though, is it, that switched on for night one? Yeah. It's the start of the World Championships. But but from a ticket point of view, that that night sold out regardless of of who's on. Yeah, but... (laughs) Did, did Did you imagine if they replaced... Peter Rydstein with Jamie Lewis versus Jimmy Hendrix. And that was 9 1. You wouldn't have been very happy, I agree. But that's the, <laughs> the lottery of, of buying a ticket, the same as in the Premier League. If you're expecting, if you're a Rob Cross fan and you buy a ticket open, Rob Cross was in the Premier League last year because he won a major and then wasn't. Uh, TV ranking event, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, it's only, it's only, it's only 20, 20 past eight and we've already gone TV ranking events, majors. Yeah. <laughs> um, but right, m- moving on into round one, like you said, we're not going to go through every tie, but a couple of standouts from you boys in round one, if you will, and the chat room as well. What was your favourite tie of, of round one and, and maybe biggest disappointment of round one? 12 minutes ago, we were moving straight to the last 16. You've got me well off guard here. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, I... <laughs> the question. There's only one option, isn't there, for the best game of round one? Two for me. Well, I'm chucking mine in there first. Go on. Scott Williams. Yeah, that's the one. Scott Williams. The other one for me. Yeah, it's not not the same sort of level of quality, but probably the second one for me was uh, Roy Meatle and Lisa Ashton. I just thought that had a... To see Lisa to push Ryan and the level we got in that one, that stood out as a as a very good first round game from a from a numbers perspective and what they're throwing at each other. Williams and Joyce are the obvious choice, I would say. Unlike you, today for the obvious choice, though. Taylor was deceptively good as well. Uh, Jim Williams against Sebastian Bielecki. What was a fantastic watch? Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, Jay, leftover Pringles. It's all I've got in the cupboard until I go shopping tomorrow. Shocking. Um, um, performance-wise, not necessarily game-wise, but performance-wise, Carol Sedlicek was fantastic in round one. Um, Josh Rock handled the pressure pretty well. Um, standout for me, though, for, well, for the most part, for the first two sets in particular, was A.D. Lewis. He looked absolutely mustered against Daniel Larson. 
yeah, Lewis is one of that. Um, opening night, I think that the how Jermaine Watamina has been playing recently for Nathan Rafty to that over the line in that one. Yes, Watamina didn't play to the levels that we've seen um, at Slam, but and before that, but Rafty very good. I was generally impressed, and I thought the decision to add three women into the um, World Championships was justified. Yes, there wasn't any wins there, but generally the performance of all three in stages, um, there were definitely faults in there as well. But in stages, Fallon, Bo and Lisa all played very well, as I mentioned. Lisa was the other day. And for me, I was very impressed with Danny Badish. Then I the line in that one. No one three 0 but that was him against Matt Campbell, I thought, to be a, a very good first round game. And Matt Campbell dealt with that very well. Yeah, I agree. I think Danny Baggish played played very, very well. Um, um, I actually yeah, really Baggish, enjoyed yeah. the Simon Whitlock Christian Perez game as well. I thought I, again, the averages you look at it and you go, Mur. but it was competitive because they were both so similar. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, really I, that. I, I I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed the three women. Yeah, like you say, Boise. Um, I thought they all acquitted themselves well. There was good parts to all their games and there was some questionable parts to all their games as well. But that, that's to be expected. Won't thank me for it yeah. because I was in the crowd for it as well. But I quite like watching John O'Shea play until he blew a two-sets lead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John. Yeah. Or Laura or Maisie, if any of you are watching. Uh, yeah. Um, right, disappointment of round one. Roby John's up there as well. I was expecting more yeah. from him. I know everyone loves Lawrence Alargan, but I was I was expecting more from, from Roby. Sorry, boys. I'm gonna have to be the one to say it. Steve beat him. Yeah. He yeah, no, was I agree. Blown like. away by Danny Van Tripp, who look, had played competitive darts more recently. Was at the Super Series. Was was at the WDF World Masters, etc. But for all the yes, Steve's kept his card again. You, you see that performance on TV, and you're like. Is that the best place for him anymore? I agree. Um, um, I thought Keegan Brown was unlucky. We haven't really touched on that game, considering there was a tour card on the line as well. That's probably the best we've seen from Florian Hempel for the best part of, yeah. of six to nine months as well. It was fantastic especially, last season. Especially the last set as well. He played some super stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, that, oh, no, oh, he's round two. Yeah, there's no one else that really, for me, other than it's flipping on who I was impressed with was Rafty coming through, was Watamina. I don't think he'd have expected to come out in that first round, but everyone else think sort of touched upon from that first round stage. Um, the question, uh, yes, Ron Moulin-Camp has lost his card on camp back um that's harsh yeah 
Um, right, round two. The big boys come in. And again, who impressed and who didn't in round two? We went from being impressive to very, very unimpressive in, in A.D. Lewis. Yeah. Um, who else have we got in round two? Daryl Gurney, very disappointing. Look, Suits yeah. played solid. Three sets that went all the way, but that, that's not the Daryl Gurney that won two televised ranking titles. Notice the choice of language. <laughs> James Wade has to be mentioned. Obviously down there at that stage. One I was probably expecting a bit more from in round two was Danny Hansen against Ratoisty. Not as much the result, but the performance from Janssen I wasn't impressed with considering the the manner we'd set in the first one. Um also, I probably put Menzies into that one. So I thought he thumbed through the Portella one very well, but then Van der Voort, he wasn't able to to get to them sort of levels. That game but, was all about the heart. <laughs> yeah, it's another story. I guess that you forget about that until you mention it. Then Vincent yeah. weren't having any of that. <laughs> he was not at all. <laughs> he was raging. Um, I thought Leonard Gates put up a decent fight against Stephen Bunting. Yeah, yeah, definitely played very well. Should have got closer than what he did. I can't remember. Was it against Gert Nenches or against Stephen Bunting where he had the horrific miscount? It's everybody leggy plays, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, don't play. Um, but yeah, touching on James Wade as well, that we said that disappointing drop down, just clinging on to a world top 10 spot. He's in 10th at the moment, but God, I know, I know he's your boy, but there's issues there, isn't there? That's the scoring power just isn't good enough at the moment to compete at that top level. Yeah, look, I said it a lot through the back end of last year. Since that overnight stay in the hospital in Germany, James wasn't the same player. There were phases in the Premier League and the, the Euro Tours, etc. around that, where, where it genuinely looked like top four player in the world at that point because you had players missing tournaments left, right and centre. His scoring power was was just up there. He was banging in overton averages on the Pro Tours as well. He, he looked completely different, but that does seem to have thrown him off a little bit. He's been chasing a bit this back end of the season. We all know how much he absolutely despises the Alexander Palace as well. So look, it's not a massive surprise. I guess it depends where James wants to be now. We know he's got the ability. We know he's got the talent to just mop up if he wants it. We know he does have that extra level of scoring power. He's never going to be the best scorer you've ever seen on the tour, but he does have that extra level in his A game. But earlier in the season, he was talking about retiring at one point. Then he wins a pro tour, which which arrested that a little bit. He's had a management change this year as well. So it depends what James Wade turns up for, for 2023 because it, it, 
the same with AD Lewis. It's easy to forget just how long these guys have been doing it for. Because when we look at their age and go, actually, they're, they're not even touching 40 yet. Brilliant. They, they could have another 10 to 15 years at it. But being at the top level of this sport will take its toll on you. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, Luke Humphreys scraped his way through. Later transpired that he'd, he'd not been well in the build-up and the whole tournament, but he got through Florian Hempel just about. Um, then what have we got? Impressed with Nathan Aspinall. We're obviously going to talk on him more in a minute, but he, he, he did play well to get rid of Boris Kutchmar. <laughs> Yeah, a lot was expected in Nave, but that was probably one that, when I say a lot was expected, the whole tournament that day, I don't think he was pushed as much as he should have been. Uh, so it was just job done. Yeah. The um, Sunday for me, look- probably game two, was the, the, the cross, the cross time with Williams on. I want to say it was Friday afternoon. I remember it was, it was, it was definitely afternoon. Afternoon. It was last one in the afternoon. Um, last one in the afternoon, yeah. Look, Scott Williams is going to be a lot of fun on tour this year. <laughs> yeah, if you work for the DRA yeah. and you want a decent Christmas party next year. <laughs> um, <laughs> look. You could employ somebody to just watch your social media around the clock and you'd still make profit. (laughs) Um, Look, he's going to do some damage, though, this year. Oh, yeah. The the quality's there. The quality's there, understandably. It's just there's a lot more to it. It's making sure that when he's on on the dartboard that that is the sole focus and it's not everything that comes around it, whether it be stuff on social media, whether it be his antics on stage, him, him swearing, him doing something he shouldn't be doing. There's a lot more that comes with Scott Williams than just um, throwing darts, and it's just how he handles all the rest of that that comes with it. Um, I guess the question marks on this one will always be, whoever lost this game, there's going to be questions around their preparation because it was only the week before that these two were practising together. Was that the right decision? Obviously, Toss is going to say yes, and Williams is going to say no right now, but I'm not sure you should be practising with someone on who you're going to draw so early on. Maybe semi-finals I'm, onwards, not an issue, but second round, with you, you know, that draws all yeah. the way. I'm, I, I wouldn't have done it personally, but hey, look, that's, <clears throat> that's down to them. Right, so from round three, we'll go section by section, and we'll just dissect them. We're going to stay in the last section because I've got it up on screen because we need to talk about this one as well. Gary Anderson, boys. It was an early exit from from the tournament. Beaten 4-1 by Chris Dobie. A little bit of needle as, as well. We don't know what was said. Chris wouldn't d- d- divulge and that, that, that's between them it's happened on the stage so it, it stays there i've got no issue with that but 
Gary's now down to is it 22 in the world or something? Provisionally, after the Masters, we may not see Gary Anderson on TV until next year's Worlds. Because the UK Open, there's no guarantee they put him on the main stage. And if he qualifies for the players, again, no guarantee on the main stage. We've seen him on board two a lot. So seen him on board two as world champion. He was not impressed. <laughs> Correct. And, um, and, 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 Grand, and Grand Slam, we know we won't play any unless he wins something. Does he want yeah. to be a qualifier? So that one's out the window. So provisionally, the last week in January, maybe the last time you see Gary Anderson on a TV until December. If someone would have said this a few years ago, you'd have been carted off and examined to see if you were mentally okay. Are you suggesting he's not commercially viable enough for the Premier League and or the World Series? <laughs> I think commercially viable he is. However, I think he's pushed enough buttons that they've gone sod it. Spoken like a man that went to his wedding. Who was that? Is he still commercially viable? 100%. 100 he's still commercially viable. But performances on the board, and let's be fair, he's not shy pushing buttons with players, pundits, PDC directors, commentators, you, you name it. I, I just think that maybe... Just maybe that they've gone. Nah, the fact they put him on an afternoon in Blackpool, um, board two for the Players Championships. The, the 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 list is quite long. Where that would never happen to Gary Anderson before. Yeah, just I guess right now he's the he's the time for Gary Anderson to look just at that and what he wants to do more in the sport. And it might be that he doesn't want to do much more. He just he's happy to have a sort of a slow slide down, play the pro tours, playing any TV events that he does qualify for, or it's the flip of that, and he wants to try and get himself back into these TV events, get himself back up the rankings and and push. It's all down to the what Darren Anderson wants to do. I'm sure I've seen a, a stat earlier on that he'd only won 50% of his names in 2022. Where in comparison to his career, we like towards the late seventies. So that as a drop generally is just massive, and it just shows of someone who, whether right or wrongly, or whether it's true or not, I should say, around his practice, says that he doesn't really pick them up as often as what he should. It's totally down to him now on what he wants to do. Does the levels are still there if he puts time in, and. Let's be honest, as near enough every darts fan in the world wants to see Darren Anderson on TV. Well, Even if it's not in your Premier League, your World Series and all those, you still want to see him at Utah Open on the main stage. You still want to see him at Blackpool. You still want to see him at all these. Of course you do. Yeah. Euro I'm tours, hopefully. No, he's walk-on, still electric, and that they, he's still the darling. But there's only so long you can get away with being a part-time dart player in the current game because effectively that's what he's been for the last few years he's, he's been a part-time yeah. dart player um right um rob cross dispatched of merv king look again question marks around merv king right now 
Um, you know, I'm not the, the the smallest guy in the world, but Merv looked big at the Worlds, and they, they looked as if they some some health issues there because he was sweating after set one, which is amazing because I bet he was freezing cold. Yeah, no, it's quite well documented how much he struggled as well in the past. He's had back issues at whatever. I generally think bizarrely, and we have this conversation a lot about players giving up work. Merv looked. The best Better I've seen him work. in about five, six years when he was working for Amazon on the side. Agreed. Yeah, completely. I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. And then the next one. This was one of the games of the tournament. Dirk against Ross. What a game! And you get the impression one there was no love lost up there. That's for sure. After set two when Ross is waving Dirk off the stage. Um, two, <laughs> look, I, I, I love Ross Smith to bits. I think it's safe to say he had the memo, didn't he? Yeah. Because I'm not sure I buy into this no love loss. I think for six sets, they both went up there with a bit of testosterone, a bit of trying to show off against somebody who... Look, I'm not saying for the most no part, love they're, in, they're in direct, yeah, they're an outsiders, but they're in direct competition for a Premier League spot as well as that going on in the World Championship as well. They had a moment before the seventh set where they sort of gave it an embrace, a fist bump, and that seventh set was just played with no amateur dramatics on the side. It was just the best man wins from it, and I really like that. I thought, do you know what? We've tried it for six sets. It's been funny. It's not worked. Now let's just try and beat each other on the dartboard. And there was that embrace. I was a little bit surprised after seeing that to hear Dirk's um, <laughs> press conference and, and start firing shots off a bit again, especially for oh. a man who, I don't know how to describe it. It would be like MVG getting annoyed at Kim Hybrex celebrating in the Grand Slam 10 years ago when MVG was the man that sort of brought that to the sport. Yeah. Um, but look, certainly from Ross Smith's walk on, someone someone had a word in his ear. Yeah, as he come and bouncing than, down the walk, than, and then started chucking out shirts. Yeah, we done like a little thirty meter sprint. Then we then he had a shirt tanning, or he might as well as because he was throwing them out anyway. And literally everything else then on stage, the antics, it was all sort of driven towards there was a not just a, not just a darting performance was needed to try and promote his chances. Um, it was everything else. But other than the, the match darts, it was a great performance from Rossman. Yeah. It was I, set I, up perfectly. You should have took right. the result. From a from an entertainment perspective, and someone who's obviously won something in 2022. Is I know it. We'll move on to the, the chat. I'm sure we will later on about the Premier League, but I'd love to see him in it. And that and yeah, that I'm, was a lot of what he delivered against Dirt there. But credit must out to Dirt to taking chances. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. And then again, where this performance from Mensor Sulevich came from, I have got absolutely no idea, because I think everyone predicted four nil, four one. This will be over in the blink of an eye. MVG marches on and, and we'll see you later. Um, 
Mensor Sulevich rolled back the years and produced the kind of performance that he did in the Premier League and winning the Champions League. Where the blimmin' out did this come from, boys? Let's be honest, it should I have been for one. The Premier League. He was telling us he was going to be in it a couple of weeks ago, and I'm like, nah, <laughs> no chance. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, bloody hell, where's that come from? Oh, come I mean, he's a dark like, way from losing four-one. Let's not forget that. But it was still a ridiculously high level to maintain against Van Gogh that was averaging 107 or whatever that he was. Yeah. Different difference was though, but it wasn't. It wasn't a match dart away from losing four-one, which is weird. Because as a stat, it was, but it wasn't a match double that, that yeah. he went for to hit him, which is very, well, very strange to see. And what a moment! What a moment! That one six one. Look, I we we asked MVG about it in the press conference, and he said, "I'll do it again." The percentages are in my favour, and look, as a percentage, the, he's probably right. However, that stings a little bit as a player, doesn't it? When it's funny though, isn't it? Average averages <laughs> averages are in your favour of that happening. However, I think at that time Mensor was averaging either one oh one or one oh two around that mark. So the averages was, drop a little. The percentages drop a little. Yeah. Of how well he was and playing. It was, it was really a, high it was, as well at that point. Yeah, it's a very strange <laughs> move. I could just um, imagine at that point as well. Eric Bristow sat there tweeting him going, Welcome to the club, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was um yeah it, it was genuinely bonkers uh moving into the, the third section again next one up Aspinall against Josh Rock and look this was another unbelievable game it, it went all the way and and Josh Rock edged it and you could see Nathan Aspinall walking off that stage as if to say oh shit I've blown my Premier League chances Probably feels that way. I'm not sure if he has. There's a. We'll, we'll, there's we'll a come on to that in a minute. But, but that, that was how it came across that he, how he was thinking. Yeah, but I think a lot of it evolved further down the tournament as well. But yeah, I can see what you mean. Not just that. I just think that if you don't stop a player like Josh Rock early and get those wins over him and, and put him in his place, if you like, there's a chance that that just unfolds right if you if you don't stop a, a michael smith 10 years ago he goes on to be world champion you don't stop a a michael van gerwen at the age of 20 look at the damage he's done and there is a lot of talk around joshua i mean he's already joint third or fourth favorite for the world championships next year at 10 to 1 josh rock is currently shorter odds to win his first world title than peter wright is to win his third Maybe. which yeah. is just ridiculous for a player that look, he had a great season for a newbie on tour, not a fantastic or, or well-beaten season. It wasn't a Rob Cross or anything like that, but it's just a, a big moment. Yeah. I think Nathan would have wanted to stamp his authority, show he's on the way back up and go, actually, this is still my territory. I'm still, look, we're still referring to him as the young man, etc. but he's not. The, the other thing in this game, the tighter it got, the longer it got, the big moments. We've, we've boarded this up before. The Nathan Aspinall re-grip issue, shall we say. Now, when there's no pressure on it, it's fine. And it's becoming 
more and more apparent watching that it's only when the pressure is on, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I, I think we saw it against Boris, but I think it was once we then against Josh Rock. It, it tended to it was seemed to be edging close to the teens more than anything else. It just it seemed to happen at least once a lead. Then it become apparent against Josh Rock. Um, yeah, it it is a concern because, like you said, it seems to be more in those. It's not even at the pressure moments. It's in the pressure games because it was it was in the opening set as well. We seem to see it against Josh Rock. So we. It's like he knows that every moment in this game was a big moment. Uh, so, yeah, it is a concern. However, generally, I think 12 months ago, if people would have thought Asp would have had the year he's had, it was a very good year in his, his batting contention now for the Premier League. He was in a better position pre-Worlds than post-Worlds, but I would still say he's in a good position. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Look, it's going to be interesting because... It is a concern, but look, I'm sure Nathan knows what's best. And then Johnny Clayton that dispatched a Brendan Dolan. Pretty much Johnny won all the big moments. The same as uh, Dimitri against Ratajski, 4-1, comfortable. Then we had the Shock Boys. Peter Wright departed 4-1. Um, and again, he used a brand new set of darts that were, were fresh fresh to him and it backfired again because let's be fair he didn't play well at all and it goes back to I know obviously he had the horrific family issues that he had to deal with 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 Joe being in hospital but being undercooked and underprepared and new darts is not a good combo No. Very strange decision. It's Peter Wright, though, isn't it? Like, it's not a good combo for anybody else. We've seen Wright get away with it at times. The first match, there was glimpses and moments, and you thought, all right, here we go. Um, I guess it's the preparation was, was far from ideal in, in the right camp this year. It fell at the same stage it did defending last time as well. He just prefers being the underdog, I think. He does a lot of talking for a man when he's number one, has a big target on his back. But well, I think you meant you mentioned there, Dob, the key part of that was he gets away with it when he changes so often. Yeah. It's not like he's ever exceeded where he's been before when he's maintained a set or and sometimes it's not even about maintaining a set for a few months. It's just maintaining one for a tournament. And I know this was slightly different to sort of the dap he had, but still. That preparation down into the first game, then you've got to adapt, use that adapter that used to the set that you're using, or use a previous set that you've achieved your world glory with, or even your match played glory with when it was fantastic. It's just, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I didn't get excited when in the, the pre tournament show he sat there going, I haven't decided which set I'm going to use, but he was literally torn between the two sets that he'd previously won world titles that he played the majority of. The first tournament one played the majority of the second tournament. The second one, he said, I'm between those two sets. And he went up and it was okay against Mickey Mansell. It wasn't great. You can forgive him a little bit because the pace of the match wasn't that great to watch. It, it was quite a tough viewing on that opening night, to be fair. And he was without match practice. And he waits 12 days to play again. You're like, right, it'll put a bit of time on the board at home over Christmas, etc. So I don't think he was terrible. I don't think Kim was exceptional either. 
I just think Kim won all the big moments. Numbers-wise, yeah. the 0.28 of a difference between their averages. Now, I know Kim's had way more darts at the double and, and forced it and, and whatever else, but yeah, not just... Him and Gary, just a little bit disappointed by what they can be and what they turned into me this year. Yeah, agreed. Then we've got another blockbuster of a game. Dave Chisnell falls early to an inspired Stephen Bunting. And this was the, the start of a, a sensational run for, for Stephen. 102 average, 4-2 victory over Dave Chisnell. And not many people saw this result. No, and not not probably at that standard from both players. If if someone would have said that, you'd have expected it just to be that Chizzy didn't turn up, Bunting sort of punished. No, real surprise that Bunting can average around that hundred mark. But for Dave to match him, and every time it came to a key moment, it was Bunting who was taking those opportunities. That was probably the team this one, and it was just a. We'll come on to his games further on, but it was certainly a tournament to remember for Stephen Bunting and. Hopefully for him, this is a sign of what we we can see in twenty three. It was a sign of what we saw the back end of his BDO days and the start of his PDC career, but it seemed to have faltered a little since. Um, but his levels at the World Championships was pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, Luke Humphreys defeats Vincent Mandevort four three. Gob but missed opportunity for Vincent. This tie was there for him if he could have found something, but. But Luke dug in and, and found a way. Um, this next one scoreline was a surprise. Not that Joe won, but it was surprising that it was four nil. Um, Joe played some some brilliant stuff in this one. Then the next one, this is a talking point, obviously because of what transpired afterwards. Martin Schindler was three one up and one hundred and twenty one points away from knocking Bully Boy out before the new year. Yeah, it was. But even at that point, Michael Smith did not look rattled. He did not look phased. He did not look troubled. He still felt as if the entire destination of that match was in his hands, in his control. And at any moment, he could flick a switch and, and produce. And he, he sort of did. He didn't go berserk or anything like that. But I, I think that's the main difference in Michael Smith in, in the last 18 months or so, really. Heading into the last World Championship, we thought we saw that maturity from him. And then he went on to lose that. And I guess the UK Open was was quite a big setback in regard to that. But the other finals he's been in this year, the performances he put in all season, to be honest, have just been this extra level of maturity. It's like some switch has flicked in the mind of, of Michael Smith. And look, there's an argument five, six years ago, Michael Smith gets absolutely battered in that match. He starts losing his early starts, being petulant with darts, throwing them away. And, and just accepts his fate. And in this one, that just didn't come. And, and that's a dangerous thought for everybody else in this world, in the world right now. I agree. Moving into the top section, look, let's have it right in this one. Danny Offit was in control and then completely fell off a cliff and let Suter back into the game and, and go on and win it. Yeah, if, if this is not the... One game we spoke about, well, you mentioned Asp and the, the disappointment at the end of that with the Premier League. If the Premier League was playing on one person's mind in any game, it seemed like it was this one with Nopo because he was 2-0 up. Um, it wasn't great at the time, but 
he just fell off a cliff the, the last four sets and Alan Suter's stepped up his level of performance. However, he shouldn't have been in that position because we know what levels knock it and hit. Um, done for an impressive winner than today with Tamron the round before and I just thought if the Premier League was playing on one person's mind, it was not being this one and Suit stepped up as he seems to do at the Ali Pali. There's I know we'll touch upon Proud at some point later on, but Alan Suter seems to be someone who can play the Proud very well, even when they're against him. Seems to be able to play his game and still keep a good relationship with it, the Proud, if not turn him onto his side a lot of the time. Um, and I yeah. thought then it was a successful tournament. And I know Peter Rice and Darren Anderson we mentioned, but someone would have said to Suter, you'll be the, the furthest stocksman in the tournament. He would have taken it, or as far Completely. as so. just trying to speed honestly. Up that a match bit. was really weird, though. Like, if, if that was in a movie, hypothetically, it's almost like somebody threatened Danny's family at the end of the second set in the break. Yeah, no, that's a that's, that's a good one. It was just such a, I've never seen a drop off from that level so badly because you think how high he was to still finish at a 90. He'd have had to drop even below that 90 over the next couple of sets to drag it to that point. It, it was just, I've never seen any drop like that at all. Yeah. Um, then Gabriel Clements against Jim Williams, a very, very good game, which the German giant came through. We'll talk on more about that coming up. Have to touch on this one. Jose de Souza fell over the line against Ryan Sell, but look, Ryan Sell was in complete control and fluffed his lines. Who said Jose can't play under pressure, Dob? 3 2 in the <laughs> second round, 4 3 in the third round. He's a pressure. 2 0 down in the leg down in this Whitlock game the round before. 3 0 down against Sell, so, yeah. Have a word. Then again, I think all player. three of us sat here and said was one of the seeds we'd fancy a crack at, and the man was in the semi final. So uh, <laughs> let's not get too big on that. But um, uh, I think the Suze is incredibly fortunate to have got as far as he did. Look, you hold your nerve a little yeah. bit in that regard and, and stumble across the line. He's another like Leonard Gates. It's just not amusing anymore. The counting, the set up. Like, there, there was a time when it was funny, but it just cost so many opportunities. There, there was a moment on commentary that just summed it up perfectly, where he had 2-6-8, I think the first treble was in, stayed there, and then didn't switch. And instead of bemoaning it or having a pop or anything, Wayne Mardell just went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> It was absolutely perfect for it. And yeah. this isn't just a Joe's, I think. This, this is across the board, but not being able to, there's just no excuse for it. Even if you're practicing at home or whatever, you don't have to be able to count. You have to be able to pattern recognize. Yeah. If you can't count, there are ways around it. There are ways of setting it up. He's not a player that particularly has the greatest rhythm in the world. So use the referee. That's what he's there for. And, and everything else that, that goes along with it. It's just, yeah. I don't know. Look, Phil Taylor got away with it for a long, long time because of just how good he was, but no one else is ever going to get away with it to that extent. Johnny Clayton was firing in 99s to leave 163 at one point, and, and God knows what else throughout the tournament. And it's just, 
look, I get you're going to get the odd moment under pressure of a mistake from somebody somewhere, but to see it as frequently as we do from the same repeat offenders as we do, just quite frankly, isn't good enough anymore. Yeah, agreed. Um, and then double set, double hit here. Garin Price smashed up Raymond Van Barneveld and quite enjoyed it. Um, as he said in his press conference, which wanted him to zip it because he hasn't been on TV tournaments over the last two years for me to beat him, which I thought was a great little line after Barley had been giving it some in the in in, in the build up, um, doubling it up, and then Gezi beats Jose four one. Look, Gezi's won three games on the spin here and not played particularly well in any of them, but found a way to win games. Um, I think that's a, a fair assessment. And then Gabriel Clements, again, comfortably was the better player against Alan Suter, a 4-1 victory, meaning that the German giant was on fire. We'll come on to him shortly. Then Joe Cullen and Michael Smith met again. Bully Boy upped his levels, 103.25 average. Blue Joe Cullen away at this point. Uh, Stephen Bunting again produced superb performance to beat Luke Humphreys 4-1. Again, Luke Humphreys under par in this one. Bunting doing a job. Dimitri Vandenberg smashed up Kim Hybrex 4-0 in the All-Belgium affair. Again, early doors, there was a couple of half chances for, for Kim, but couldn't take them and Dimitri marched on. Oh, gone too far. Then this was a game and a talking point. Johnny Clayton beats Josh Rock 4-3 and arguably one of Johnny's best wins of the season in the context of it. Because going into the game, again, the bookies had the world number seven, the odds against second favourite, which was, was surprising. But... Early on, Josh missed a huge chance to, to go 2-0 up, Boise. And I don't think mentally he perhaps recovered from that moment. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on Josh Rock. He, he was favourite in every game he played in this year's tournament. And he played Aspinall and Clayton in two of them. And that sort of shows the level. However, the stage experience, you know, there was a lot says about Lance Lambini's first bid TV stage, and now we're talking about him being favourite against the number seven seed, and it just seemed like those moments he's still got to learn from. Um, however, a lot of praise must go to Johnny Clayton. Johnny Clayton coming into this tournament was one who wasn't favoured by many to delve very far, probably because of his uh, running twenty twenty two instead of what he done in twenty one. Um, but Johnny Clayton stepped up and. Josh Rock missed opportunities, but still generally played very well in this game. And full credit must go to the ferret as the ferret punished those opportunities that were given to him and, and then put himself probably in contention for some things coming into this year that maybe would have missed out of if he didn't have a decent world top uh world championship. Yeah. Um how keep forgetting Windows. <laughs> not you I don't, I don't like windows um and then in the bottom quarter mvg blew away dirt van dive and bowler and 
I wasn't convinced Dirk ever believed he could win this game, if I'm being brutally honest. Even from set one when they got up there, I don't think Dirk ever had that belief he could win the game. I think you're back on. It's just flat. And if we don't say that about Dirk very often, even when he is flat, normally he's quite emotional about it if it's not quite going his way. But he just seemed to accept it in this one and, and just get on with yeah. it as if that was as far as he was going to go. Agreed. And then Chris Dobie produced a brilliant, brilliant performance to beat Rob Cross 4 2. And I was pleased for Dobie. He's got got over that hurdle, got to a world quarterfinal, and it, it, it was good to see. Right, now we are into the quarterfinals, boys. And game number one. Forget the result a minute. But they're in the other room. This is an image that um, I don't think mine are as well. anyone thought we'd ever see on a dart stage. We had full-blown ear defenders. Stunned silence. Still, I'm still uh, just <laughs> I, I question yeah. the the use of them and the motive behind it. Look, I am not saying at all that the way that Gerwin Price gets treated by a crowd is fair, the way that his family get treated, the way that he gets targeted on social media at times. I think people booing him on his walk on, I think is is more than justified given the, the love-hate relationship they've had, he's had with the crowd in the past. He's previously said it doesn't affect him. Then when it wasn't there for COVID, he's like, I almost miss it. I want it back at times. There have, there have been comments and, and moments where Gerwin Price has riled up fans that attend to justify the level of booing and, um, and, and that reaction that he gets. The individual abuse, the, the shouting out, the whistling on the dart, don't agree with when it's targeted towards absolutely anybody. Now, for the ear defenders, part of me thinks that that was done deliberately to elicit a reaction because he had the earplugs in underneath. And when he does win the first leg and he's playing well in the second leg as well, it gives the crowd a bit saying, Hat, you can't hear me or I can't hear you, etc." And like, if you've got the plugs in, like Merv used to play in, they're pretty much going to block out every individual noise you can hear. The wall of noise, you might still hear a bit of a buzz or whatever, but to, to go to that extreme, I think, is to elicit a reaction or a change or to try and catch Clemens off guard a little bit as, as well as try and change the way that the crowd are reacting or, or behaving, and I just don't think it worked. There's, there's a couple of points to this. A couple of points to this, then you can jump in after Boise. So, the ear defenders were in the building for the Raymond Van Barneveld game as well. It wasn't just this one. They were in the building for the Barney game. They had been signed off to use against Barney as well. Now, they weren't needed, 
or chose not to. That 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 that's his prerogative to do so. But certainly in the build up for this game, because that day I think there was thirty percent tickets had been sold to German fans, and from a from a very good source. Going Price practiced for two hours in the practice room with them on. Now, you're, you're, I think you're at not that point, do that. He's, he's overthought it. He's and he's gone in there with a premeditated response or action. Look, I, I'm not saying that crowds are perfect. I, I don't believe they are by a long stretch. And like I said, some of the behaviour just isn't on and, and isn't right. But it does feel like some of it has been brought on by himself. And at that point, if you're genuinely concerned about the way the crowd are reacting, don't play up to them. I, I was all I was all for giving Gezi as much sympathy as possible. Look, I, like I said, I'm not condoning any of the behaviour that he gets online, any of the abuse his family gets, any of the uh, I don't know the word when they target Welsh people, we saw Robert Owen experience that. We've seen the crowd go anti-Scottish as well. Not a fan of that at all. But the minute you're in that position and you're like, well, I'm just going to play straight back up to it, when it goes in his favour, I don't agree with. Keep your head down. If, if you genuinely got a concern with it, keep your head down. I, I think oh, that's the, the point on it, Dob, that you alluded to. I'd... I don't think any of it was aimed at Clemens or a reaction to Clemens or it might get into his, his mind or anything like that. I do want to think because of the having the clearance beforehand, it was already thought about from a from a crowd perspective. If you think of some of the dames that and this is no disrespect to Clemens, the day the mind dames that Price has played, they are normally with the top two or three in the world, not with someone in what ranting twenty or thirties? Did he earn uh, twenty five? Was he when he went into the world? Um, I just think Price has built this up. I'm not. Then I'm with you. It is bad, but he's probably built it up to be even worse than what it is. To that level, just imagine this was a quarter final. Imagine if he'd have got to the final and he'd have done this. The reaction would have been even bigger than that. The, the I just I'm not sure why. He decided to do it. For me, he personally should have, if he wasn't in the right mind to do that, he probably should have been given some advice from someone along the lines of, it's not the right stage to make that. Because it is a show, the, the earplugs, as you said, the earplugs would have done that. The the big ear defenders was a bit of a show and trying to prove something to the fans. And even if it had come back and won the game at that stage... It wouldn't have been the air defenders. It would have been Derwin Price because still at 4-1, if someone would have just looked at that dame and seen 4-1, flip the TV on at that stage and that was a store, no one would have still been massively surprised if Derwin Price would have won 5-4 because of how good Derwin Price is. It wasn't a air defenders would have won in that dame. I just found it a very, very strange move. Yes, it got a lot of publicity and certain people at the PDC will say all oh, publicity is good publicity. And part of the reason why they approved something that I don't think they should have approved it wasn't the right move well, and I don't think we'll turn with them. Well, this, this is the thing. You touched on there, Boise, that the DRA rulebook says no headwear is allowed. So this was approved by the tournament director, Graham Fairhurst. And 
my issue is now is once they've been approved once, it's then very hard to say no because you've set a precedent. You've let someone do it. And, and for argument, a busy stage as well, Phil. And for argument's sake, I'm just going to pick Louis Williams because he's a young Welsh lad. Louis Williams wants to wear severe defenders and they say no. Then there's a whole new can of worms here because they've said yes to, at the time, the world number one and number one seed. So that bar has almost been set that it's, it's going to be allowed. Um, just a quick one. I think it was Jay asked in the chat room how there were so many Germans there for Clemens game. They bought tickets beforehand. Um, it was just luck that Clements was was still in. Um, obviously, they couldn't, German fans couldn't travel last year, so there was a huge German contingent pretty much for the whole tournament this year. Yeah, that's been the same previous years, hasn't it? Pre-Tolvid, yeah. I think there was probably more Germans than what there was even this year, it seemed to be. Yeah. Um, so, but the huge shock was there, and the number one seed was well beaten. 5-1 by Gabriel Clements, who was in the semi-final. Then, uh, Michael Smith won the Battle of St. Helens. And look, again, he didn't play well in this one, but found a way to win. It was gritty. It was dogged from Michael Smith. And some of Stephen Bunting's um, comments to the media annoyed Bully Boy, and he, he found a way. Um, then... This is an interesting one. Dimitri Vandenberg beats Johnny Clayton 5-3 in what we called a Premier League shootout. I stick by it. I think Dimitri Vandenberg is in the Premier League on the back of this win. We'll touch on him more in a minute. But Johnny will be frustrated because he wasn't at his best, God, but had chances. Yeah, he did, especially set seven and eight, I think it was, as it as it went deeper. Both were, were okay on their own throw at the start. It just had that feel that both players knew how important that game was and, and how edgy it was, and, and neither of them really produced their brilliant best. I don't think there was a lot of rhythm to the game. I don't think either player just was allowed to be expansive and, and, and just get on with the game. Um I think that hindered Johnny a bit more than it than it hinders Dimitri. Um, and it was a job done by Dimitri. Considering where Dimi was a couple of months ago, this is a, a solid performance and a solid run from him up until the next round. And it's very, very clear that a lot of that is the equipment. doesn't make him better, just a comfort in that and, and how similar the barrels are that he used for this tournament are compared to what he's been throwing, what he's won titles in the past. That dramatic change at the front, that ridiculously different ball nose thing that he had basically strapped on the front, clearly wasn't working for him. And he stuck with it for a long, long time. His form suffered an awful lot this year. Um, but that straight barrel dart just seems to give him that confidence to, to go out and, and do this. Spurs has scored again. Get in. Um and then in in the last quarterfinal, MVG ran riot five um, 0 over Chris Doby, and it wasn't really a contest. Dobes wasn't really in the game. Um, makes you think that 
the game against Rob Cross might have emptied the tank, so to speak. Right, semi-final time at the World Championships. Michael Smith beat Gabriel Clements 6-2. However, Boise, this game was a lot closer than that scoreline suggests. There was a lot of the early sets went 3-2. Look, Michael won the big moments. But also, off the back of this, the huge, and I mean huge, numbers viewing in Germany was off the scale. Yeah, I think, first and foremost, on this game, without thinking the same from another player, but Michael Smith did just do the right things at the right time early on. And this was probably all about a game where if Michael Smith got a bit of a lead, you was confident that he was going to seal the victory. It would have been a bit different if Clemens would have taken a, a 4-2 lead, especially with the, the German contingent in the in the crowd as we've seen throughout the whole tournament. So I think on that perspective, it was Michael Smith getting that lead and then just cementing that. But from what Clemens has done in this tournament, it was, Dob mentioned it, I wasn't going to bring it up, but it was certainly one that we all sort of touched upon a seed in danger. Uh, Selling a little? Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Leon, um, the route that he had coming through, you know, to, to beat Derwin Price, if we take, because we didn't really touch upon what Clemens did in that day with Derwin Price yet. Average just short of 100 against Derwin Price in a best of nine was just incredible. And then to not really drop a massive standard against Michael Smith, it has just boosted Germany even further. This is a country that's been on, been very close to having a, a huge star over the years. We've seen Matsoff, Martin Schindler. Probably Gabriel Clemens hasn't had the same amount of publicity as probably what those two have. But then it's Clemens is the one who's brought through the scene and now got to the semi-final. We've seen a huge dip from him back end of 20, 21 when he lost to Fallon. Um, and it seemed like that really had an impact on his game. But the recovery from him and then coming into this tournament, it's understandable why there is a lot of talk about Clemens. I'm not quite sure around him being in the Premier League personally. But that is more that from a standard perspective. That is more from a standard perspective of where those those top eight normally are. Um, 
But what a tournament for Gabriel Clemens and a lot to push on from now going into next year. Second semi-final was one-way traffic again, but there were so many talking points in this one that Michael Van Gerwen batters Dimitri Vandenberg. However, we had from leg number two, when Wayne says in the second leg of the match, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's along these lines of, there we go, Dimitri's gone for the water already in leg two to slow Michael Van Gerwen down. Couple of points on this. One, did Dimitri overthink this and try and put Michael off too much and forget about trying to win the game? Two, we had the words about the encroachment zone. All, all, all in all, I don't think these two are going to share Christmas cards. I think that's an understatement. Um, yeah, lots lots of drama. And it's, it's easy to forget just how good a performance this was from Michael Van when we got caught up in everything else that, that was going on in this. And I guess that perhaps the most impressive part of this is we associate Michael Van Gerwen's best performances in his career in matches where he's been allowed to get on with it. That game with Gary Anderson in Dubai, we've seen finals in the past. <laughs> a, a quicker or, or, or a better rhythm of a player suits... Michael Van Gerwen to the ground so, so much. So for him to produce a, a 108 average and a 6-0 demolition of Dimitri is is ridiculously good. We, we've spoken about Dimitri a number of times in the past. After the Grand Slam, we've had that fallout uh, where he beat Gary in the match play as well, was it? Or was that the Slam? Oh, yeah. or I can't remember like match play. Um, and, and we've seen the fallout of that. And look, for him, it is a benefit. Right, he can dictate the pace of a game, fast or slow, if he wants it. And there's absolutely nothing anybody else can do. It's not against the rules. It it seems to have worked for him in the past. I think it got to Johnny Clayton a little bit. We've seen it get to Gary Anderson before. However, performance-wise, I think the best performances we've seen from Dimitri are when he is free-flowing. And whilst the absolute... Um, the absolute concentration at this moment was on the World Championships. When you look at that performance from Dimitri, just aesthetically, it is incredibly difficult to watch. Oh, it's very yeah. tough to watch. And, and, and when you're then looking at, look, in terms of ticking boxes for the Premier League, which we use that as a phrase an awful lot, speaks multiple languages, has the walk on, it's young. He says and does pretty much all of the right things. Not too sure about the, the microphone at the end. Michael Bridge, do not ever give anybody the microphone. Have you not learned, man? Um, but you have to be watchable as well. There's a reason that Danny Knoppet isn't really in consideration for the Premier League, as far as we understand it, despite winning one of the biggest tournaments on the calendar, is that people don't enjoy watching him. There's, there's a metronomic rhythm to what Danny Knoppert does without anything else ticking another box. Peter Wright gets away with it because he's not the most fluent or watchable, but the level that he produces frequently enough, the walk-on and everything else that comes around the Peter Wright persona, put him in that position as somebody that is watchable because he can do anything at any moment. And, and there's less of that around Dimitri Vandenberg. 
Gob, oh, alluding to that, that, that semi-final performance, I actually think has done more of a detriment to his Premier League chances than what beating Johnny Clayton did as a credit. I understand at the time that that was a Premier League shootout or was classed as that. However, after that semi-final, I think he's in a worse position than what he was pre-quarterfinals and then playing Johnny because that performance against Michael van der Wien in the manner of that performance... Um, I, I've always enjoyed watching Dimi. I've slightly defended the way that he plays and the fact that he can. He's one of a few players in the world who can play at a slow pace and play at a very quick pace and still put in ridiculous averages. There's not many who can do that. However, that against MVG was just a little too far. Um, I know I had my views on the evening on, in our group chat of just how disappointing I was with. With Dimmean, it was just that you didn't need that. It's semi-finals of the World Championship. Go up there and produce your best. And if you produce your best, I'm not saying he beats MVG because MVG was ridiculous, but he at least gives him a game of darts. And let's be honest, he didn't do that at all. Do we think if he doesn't get away with it against Gary a few years ago, we'd have ever seen this evolve into a thing for Dimmean? No, because I go back to... I'm going to get the year wrong, but it's going to be somewhere around 2016-17. When he hit the nine data in the Grand Slam, he was a good to watch then. There was a nice pace yeah. to his game. Um, someone, I'm sure someone in the chat room will, will correct me on the year, but it was around 16-17, so, somewhere around there, when, when he hit the nine data. He was exciting to watch. But right now, it is a tough watch. And that's not saying... He's not a good player because he is. But we compare it to football teams. If you're a neutral, would you rather watch Real Madrid or Barcelona or Tottenham at the moment? You'd rather watch Real Madrid and Barcelona because the way they play. I'll remember I when these comparisons used to you will never, ever be the right answer to that question. <laughs> well, I, remember, I remember when this comparison used to be Burnley. That comparison is now Tottenham. Not then, then into Burnley. a football chapter right now, but it used to be Burnley. Over, over Christmas, I actually watched a couple of Burnley's games under Vincent Company. They actually play some good football. <laughs> 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 I can't use them anymore. Um, but, but you know what I mean? It's like that, that thing of playing... Mourinho football, where you shut up shop and try and nick a 1-0, or do you play open and expansive and express yourself and do it the right way? And that's how I look at Dimitri now. It's it, it is a tough watch. We'll come on to the Premier League in a minute. However, uh, thanks, Dan. 2018. I knew, I knew it was somewhere, but, I, but it was just... Um, so, the final. And... Across the season, this is the right final for me as well. I think across the year, these two have been the best two players across the season. It's not often a world final works out this way, but this time, I think it has. Yeah, uh, couldn't be great great. at all. And look, I think Chris Murphy summed it up the best, by the way, he tweeted before the final or at the end of the semi-finals that the most open world championships in history ends with the final that pretty much everybody predicted. 
I know Cam's in the chat room. He did as well. Oh, um, look, just that, that image is something that I'll never, ever forget. Um, I think I said it yesterday on... I can't remember why. I said it to someone. I got asked to do a, an interview for one of the pods yesterday that were in the um, press room that afterwards that... And I, and, I, and I don't mean this horribly against Michael Smith. I don't think the best player in the tournament won the tournament. But on the night, I think the best player won the match. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd I, I, I think, I think I, MVG, I I think MVG was the best player across the tournament. But on the night, Michael Smith was sensational. My, talking there about prediction, my pre-tournament was, was that Michael Smith... However, I only stuck with Michael Smith pre-final prediction because I'd said it earlier on. Going into that, I 100% fancied Michael Van Derwin to some of the numbers it were ridiculous. More than anything, the fact he come through that Dimitri game with... And Michael Smith was never going to play any games. That was never going to happen. However, the fact that Michael Van Derwin played that well and then someone who slowed him down just showed that... Well, at that time, it looked like MVG just wasn't going to be stopped. It... The numbers he was hitting, the shots he was taking out, very rarely missing more than two darts at a double when he was at the board. It, throughout the whole tournament, he just looked in ridiculous form. Whereas Michael Smith at times just done enough. Martin Chinler's the, the example of that. Gabriel Clemens, he done the right stuff at the right time. But Stephen Bunting, he wasn't right in that game. However, what Michael Smith done was found his best for that final. Um, and, well, we're going to talk about it at some stage. What a leg in set two. What a leg. Can't and be beaten, surely. Can't be beaten. I disagree with this. It wasn't the perfect leg because there was missed arts. The perfect leg would have been MVG hitting the nine data with Bully Boy sat on one for one because then there's no missed darts in the leg. That's less exciting. But in terms of the perfect leg, there was a missed dart. So it can be better. But no, look, and the way the way Wayne called that leg in was unreal. Yes, he lost his voice, but the way it was called in, and to be fair, I think, I think that moment changes the game as well, because MVG broke Michael Smith in the first set, and then if Michael Van Gerwen hits the nine, we could be having a completely different story. And like we say, in, in any sport, big moments change big games, and that was certainly one of the biggest moments we've ever seen. I think so. I just think it goes back to that maturity and, and that level from Michael Smith. His, his finishing on the outer ring has been superb, um, especially all through this tournament. I think there was just an extra level to it. There was no patches. There was no. We saw him like reach for a top on a one four five, but there wasn't really any walking on the last dart. There wasn't any willing it in. He hit a couple of double fives last dart in hand that were absolutely massive. And in the past. You would have seen them be dragged low as he's walking in to hit it a bit and then lose his composure a little bit. But he, he just kept it together so well throughout the entire final. 
uh, look, was Michael the better player for the other five games that he played in this tournament? Yeah, probably. But in this final, every single thing that Van Gerwen threw at, at Smith, Smith had a response for. And I didn't expect that. I didn't see that coming at any point. Um, I just thought Van Gerwen would have would have had too much of Michael Smith. Even at 4-3, you still felt like Van Gerwen was in this. I think at one point, Jar messaged one of our group chats going, I'm going to whisper this very quietly. And I thought it was on about the fact we might see Michael Smith win the thing. He was actually saying that Man United might be the title race of deluded halfwit. Um, but I was like, don't you dare say it yet, because there is a long, long way to go um, in this match. And even then, the beauty of set play was even when Michael Smith reached six sets, he could still have won another 11 legs. And if they weren't at the right time, he would have lost this title. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Think... And the, the repetition no, of being no, one or two legs with... away over and over again at that point would have just killed a man. Yeah, and mentioned it there about the nine data being such a T-leg. There was that in set seven... The 130 he took out on double five, and I know you said double five was crucial, but it was then to that break to stop MVG taking out 70 or something along those lines. It was just MVG at that point. MVG hit a 180 just, as well. MVG hit a 180 yeah, and yeah. Smith took out the 130. Did he leave 74, 78, something along those lines? Yeah. Oh, there we go. In the, in the middle. Um, but it was then that even at that point, you'd sort of thought the big moments that nine. But then MVG got battered in. And when he took that out and then held the next one to so their 4-3 in front, it was just the start of him being so assured. And I don't buy the fact that he lost the world title to Peter Wright. I think Peter Wright won it with them fabulous was it eight or nine leads. And the the, the thought of him being, being the bottle job was certainly answered because MVG was in front of parts of this game. And the fact that he got in front there at 4-3, the first time I think him... In, in sets was just just showed his, his maturity and what a way to do it. What, 10 years on from winning the youth, the first player to win the youth and then go on and pick the main one up. It's just an incredible achievement from someone who now, as everyone said, and everyone's going to be right in saying, once he wins one TV title, they are going to follow and there's no one who's, who believes that this is the end of Michael Smith's oh, no, no, winning no, we titles. All said- once one happened, the floodgates yeah, will open. Yeah. And look, there's there's no doubt about that whatsoever. And look, just that picture there is something that he will cherish for the rest of his life. Even if he doesn't win another one, no one can ever now take that moment away from him. Um, in the chat room, uh, Anthony is in all the way in Texas from the CDC. Hope you are good, my friend. Um, I, I love what you've done as well, the CDC um, cross country um, battle, absolutely love that. Right, we've got a couple of clips to play. We've got two from Bully Boy, one from last night, one from today. Then we've got one from Mace, which brings us on to the next topic. So this is last night. I think we're going to go to St. Helens Stadium with that one, and I'm going to have some good pictures there with that. But yeah, I just want to. That I think. That will probably be there for a day, but that that's not that's not leaving my side. <laughs> if that goes there for a day, I'll be there for that full day as well. That's not leaving. 
that's not she'll probably I'll tell you what, she'll be on the couch and that'll be in the bed with me. So <laughs> it's not leaving my side. A huge fan of that. And then I feel a bit this sorry is for Dan because he just said he's going to kick her out of bed. Last night he said the best thing about his life was his kids. If not, it would be that trophy. He's sort of just shooting her down a bit at the moment. Uh, and then this this is the one from this morning. And please bear in mind, he hadn't been to sleep. And his voice is a little bit shot at this point. <clears throat> just, hey, it's good. He's just showed how consistent I've been when being labelled as a bottle job. But... I was a bottle job when I was still one of the best players in the world and that bottle job is now you world number one. You're going to let a few people know that as well? Just, just, yeah, just, just a little reminder. Yeah, of course. There's, there's still a few saying I probably won't deserve it. I've not, no one can say it at the minute, but there will be a couple who say it and I'll just send them a picture. <laughs> How hoarse is that voice? Struggling, <laughs> uh... isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, Craig says, boys, I read today that World Trophy weighs 25 kilos. The original World Trophy weighs 25 kilos. However, that's not the original one. Um, because if you go back the first few, literally when they're handing it over, they can barely lift it with two hands. And then last year you had Peter Wright hoisting it with one like that. So the, the original trophy is very, very heavy. Maybe Peter Wright just hit the gym. Um, yeah um so that is the world well before before we go huge shout out to dan dawson who absolutely smashed it on sky absolutely smashed it um absolutely enhanced their punditry team um the sky pad was a great addition as well i liked it um and look, Webby, Mardle, and Dawson, in my opinion, are the elite three. Unreal. Look, I, I don't want to sit here and bash parts of that lineup because they're parts of, of all TV coverage that at the minute I don't think are of the top level that they can be. But I just think that piece that Dan did at the Skypad last night in particular and his commentary stints as well, just show you what could be for TV darts. I don't want to blow too much smoke up. Uh, Dan's asked not to sit here and, and criticise everybody else, but there was a gulf in knowledge and excitement and everything that just comes with how much Dan Dawson absorbs this sport. And for the World Championships in particular, which attracts such a wider audience, such a broader audience, people that aren't particularly used to darts there was those references to a pro tour, which is the floor event or a Euro tour or whatever. There was just all that throwback. There was just, you could build so much more of a picture of who you were watching and what they did in their career, other than the one time you're going to see them on stage on TV a year. And I just thought it was superb. And that chance has been waiting to come for a long, long time. And if they don't use them a lot more after seeing that, I'll be very, very surprised. I think also on that, Bob, we spoke about a player in Darry Anderson about being someone who, being a part-time player. It's similar for me in Tom's. You've got to have someone who understands. You can't have a part-time darts, Tom's. 
because there is so much happen every day in the darting world devotate that your Tom's team need to know everything that is happening within the sports and that part-time sort of role applies to the, the the backstage team as well in regards to Tom's and that needs to be better and I think Dan Dawson has brought that to PDC he's brought that now to Sky TV and hopefully we will see more of the light I think Murph is a, is a perfect example of someone like that as well who his knowledge of the game is, is ridiculous and we need more of that Absolutely. Right. Moving on. This is being played because it's going to lead us into another little segment. No, we did a video in January, I think, down in Southampton. And we, we were saying, right, is Gezi the best player in the world? Is it Peter Wright? Um, you know, Michael wasn't in the conversation. His form and just everything about him wasn't good. And then after having surgery... And then he, he sort of went on and did sort of bits. And then what a turnaround for the remaining of the year, picking up four big titles, up to 148 titles now. And I think in around about five hours' time, it's going to be 149th. Yeah, and listen, I, I like seeing Dobie with a bit of edge about him. I, I, think, I think the players, I think they're a little bit too comfortable. I want to see him with a little bit of edge, a little bit of fire in their belly. Uh, I'd like to see Dimitri drop a lot of the stuff he does and, and just get up there and throw darts because he's so talented but I think he exhausts himself with all the I'm not, not sure if it's manufactured but the way he just tries to get this extra focus I think it tires him out um, I think Clemens will be in as well I think, think, you think Clemens has done yeah, enough? I think yeah, I, have you announced the viewing figures from Germany yet? Uh, yeah they, but they're PDC right. announced and um, world record for the German Yeah I, th I think it's the third most watched sport ever yeah. uh, on German television uh, yeah it's, it's amazing and, and I think a run to the semi-final is the highest ranked German we've got and remember the, the Premier League is, is about the money game and um, that, them kind of numbers bring a lot of money which moves us on to the 2023 Premier League gentlemen now I am led to believe that it will not wait until the Masters. We will get an announcement before the Masters happens. Full? What, what's that? Full announcement? Yes. That's what I'm led to. Look, it might change, but we, are, we were led to believe that there will be a full Premier League announcement before the Masters. Which says they can't run the risk of someone obscure winning the Masters and cocking it all up. Which is what they've done for two years in a row and got away with it. Yeah. But with that... Obviously, we know four of them. We know that Michael Smith, Michael Van Gogh and Peter Wright and Gerwin Price will be picked for the Premier League because they are in the top four. Now, chat room, get involved as well. Who do we think will be the other four? and Or who's in contention? And who do you think will get the four spots? 
fairly easy for me. Well, seven are fairly easy. Top four. I still think Aspinall, Humphreys and Joe Cullen. I'm just undecided between Clayton and Dimmy. However, I would like to see Ross Smith as that one, but I think it's still between Clayton and Dimmy. If they do an eight, which I think they will, I think they'll stick to initial. I I think until the quarterfinals, it was potentially done. I think Gabriel Clements has thrown a spanner in the works for commercial reasons, which effectively what the Premier League is um, as well. People can can criticise it all they want and, and may set it there really, really well. At the end of the day, the, the Premier League is a money game. Now, those viewing figures from Germany possibly may not, can't be ignored. So, my, I think Humphreys, Aspinall are in. I think Dimitri is in when I think, I think the game between him and Johnny was a shootout. And I think Dimitri is in. And then up until the Clements run, I think Joe Cullen was going to get in. And now I, I genuinely think it's a 50-50 call between Cullen and Clements. It's do they go with last year's finalist within a hair of winning it? Or do they go with the commercial value of Germany? Problem is they didn't go with the finalists from the year before, did they? That they dropped off Jose yeah. as soon as they could. Um I've made my thoughts clear on how watchable I think Dimitri is. And as much as he brings to the sport elsewhere, I'd, I'd still rather see Johnny Clayton play every week than I would Dimitri Vandenberg oh. at that point if it's a shootout between those two. And I think Joe Cullen's more watchable than Dimitri as well. Um, six. Oh, I'm with you. I, I personally wouldn't have Dimitri in either, but I think he will be in. Yeah. is there's genuinely 14 names that have a right not a right because if i say i've got they've got a right to it then everyone oh it's an exhibition nobody's got a right to anything performances etc but there are genuinely 14 names that have a, a call to be in the premier league this year you've got your top four smith right mvg price then i think you go down the list you've got humphreys you've got clayton ross smith joe cullen nathan aspinall dimitri rob cross Dirk, Noppy, and Gabriel Clemens. And if you're looking at what Gabriel Clemens brings to the sport, right, and I'm going to upset a few people here, because there are the same people that were upset that Fallon Sherrick was in this World Championship are about to be backing Clemens to be in the Premier League all the way because he produced 3 million viewers in one country. Yeah. 100%. And if you're going down that route, you might as well put both of them in. Yeah. Yeah, I, look, I don't disagree. Um, but 
And the thing is, I've just listed 14 names there. You could look at some outsiders as well and breed them in. I, I genuinely don't see how they can just continue with just an eight-man format and the way it's set. I appreciate it's late in the day and everything else, but given that there's 14 names available there, even if a couple of them don't want it, a Rob Cross or whatever, you could you could sneak a 12 or, or whatever. There has to be. This is an organisation that we give so much credit to constantly for, for making decisions and updating things and, and keeping things fresh, if you like. And if the PDC do something wrong, we call them out on it. But when they do something right, we're, we're very quick to to boost them up as well. They've tried this change. I don't think it necessarily worked, but they've gone off a, a post-COVID boom in statistics to prove that the change that they made is viable for this year as well. I'm not so sure. We looked at the knock-on effect that it had in other tournaments throughout the year as well. Players were absolutely dying on their ass. I've looked at the logistics of travelling to the Euro Tour all of next year. And if you've got just eight players in there, how many of them are going to commit to every single Euro Tour event when, if you rotate them without losing quality, they're less likely to be doing that as well. If they get every other, if you have two groups of eight, which seems to be an idea flying around quite a bit at the moment, you have the 14 I just listed. Then you've still got players such as Bunting had a great run. Dave Chisner, I think, has had a steady season. You've still got your big names like a Wade, a Gando, a Barney you can chuck in there. You've got a, a Josh Rock you can chuck in there when it's every other week, so he's got a bit of time in between, etc. There's ways to be creative with this Premier League where it isn't just what they've got right now. And even if it's not two groups, even if it was, we're crying out for a team event. Have it where you chuck players in against another team, etc. If, if it was a 12-man format, right, two teams of six, you could play four singles and a pairs match on the night each night or whatever, a point per win. You're, you're winning six, go to your knockouts, and then your top two performers from your losing team are in the knockouts as well. There's, and that's just off the cuff. Let's try and throw some creativity at it. I, I'm just a bit disappointed with how they're just, right, we're accepting that this is going to be an eight and we're going to shoehorn players in left, right and centre to not shoehorn, but we'll make the best of what we can while pushing others out. Because the biggest criticism yeah. they will face this year of the format being stale is the number of quality players they've got on the sidelines, not involved. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, just a quick one before we come out. This. Uh, yeah, Lee, look, the option's there, but unlike other channels, we never push or, or force it or anything like that. But if you want to, mate, then it's much appreciated, but we never feel like anyone has to or anything like that. Yeah, but potentially, we're, we're looking at it, that the world 6, 7, 8 and 10 are all going to be yeah. left out. There's, yeah, I know there's only eight spots, but there's a good chance that four of the top 10 don't get in. Yeah. And again, look, there's no right to it. There's no claim to it. So you can sit here and say that they're aggrieved in, in either direction. But like I just said, when there are so many players that are on the sideline, in years gone by, there has been a standout eight or a standout 10 and you're not missing anything out. You might get the odd dubious decision and you might then have one whipping boy or whatever. Rob Cross missing out last year. We had the year where Kim Hybrex and Yella Klassen were in it as well. And that was probably one of the more competitive years. I think there was a bit of... Um, uproar about one of those picks. I can't remember which way round it was, etc. But over the years, there's, there's generally been one player that's been aggrieved to miss out. This year, there's a, a good conversation to be had that 
three, four, five players that will make that Premier League better are not in it. And at that point, they're just going to get pelters. 100%. And right now, look, I know form can change, but out of the eight players that we are suggesting are in contention, right now, there are only two that are in genuinely good form right now. Now, if they are in opposite, if, if you are in opposite halves of the draw, say between Michael and Michael, they clear up the first seven weeks. That becomes very boring and very, very stale rather quickly. Well, Johnny Clayton won a quarter of events yeah. last year and was in the final of another quarter. He was in the final match of half of the league phases last year. Gary made it past the second game once, the night he won it. Made it into that second game, something like three or four times in 16 attempts. If that starts occurring here again, I think there's an edge to the players involved. I can't see them winning it being an all-Michael final seven times, etc. But... I don't, I'm just saying they the have possibility run, that they have to run in the key moments. It is more than possible as well. It's 100%. Yeah. Yeah, co- completely. And like you say, that I, I agree that although they've announced that it was going to be the same, there is a real opportunity to change their mind and do something big and bold, Boise, right now. Because the venues are set, but nothing else is. So there, there is still a window of opportunity to go and do something huge. In theory, nothing else is set. However, all they're sort of marked into it over the past month has been yeah. leading to pick your way players. My concern is they put that out straight away after this tournament as well. Gone right, they're done. Pick your eight. Is that they're not about to move that at all? Yeah, that that was that was pre-tournament and as. Dob just alluded to that's now been post tournaments. There is an opportunity. There's, I've seen a couple of people mention previous formats, i.e., like contenders. For me, I, I would be more inclined to, if they didn't do anything, revert back to just the league format. Yes, you could have one or two run away with it, but we've had years when Phil Taylor went unbeaten. It's not, it's not going to be something new if someone went and done that. I just think that the field of eight just doesn't work with the players we've got now, which is a, a huge credit to the players who have put themselves in this contention. But there's players who have been playing their whole season towards getting in the Premier League. Nathan Aspinall, since the match play, has spoken about it. Luke Humphries has spoken about it for about four years. Luke Humphries was taught in Premier League before he picked up a dart. So there is players who not only have spoken about it... Corey already talking Premier League. He's not got his door card back. Yeah, and I'm joking about it a little bit about some of these players, but these are also the players who have put themselves in the mix. They've they've followed up those words, and they've put themselves in there. Aspers got to a couple of um, TV big TV finals. Humphries has won multiple Euro tours. Has pumped himself up the rankings. There's so many players now, and it's going to be a shame that we are going to miss out on some of those not being playing every Thursday. The flip of that, if you put in a Clemens or it's even been Arsenal Clemens but 
anyone who just has a good world uh, world championship but hasn't had a very good year, it's it's a detriment to the people who have performed over. I don't want to say twelve months, because let's be honest, the Premier League's picked on the back end of the six months. But Clemens done nothing really all year in regards to on TV. I understand yeah, the commercial Jamie's, aspect, Jamie's but in it's the not chat right. Not right to put him in there. Yeah, he's not right there for me to put Clemens in over an Asp, over Joel Cullen, over Noppy, who who now we've we've sort of took out of consideration completely because he had a poor world, uh, world championship. However, he's won a TV tournament. Ross Smith, who was fantastic in the Worlds, but has also won a TV title. Yes, he didn't progress as far. I just think it needs to be expanded from eight, whatever sort of format they do, however they swing it around. If they do, I don't think they'll do that in the team's rules. I understand what you're saying, Dobby, that they do that and then split it, it into a sort a, of single oh, We need a 12-man no format. What's the best way to do it or whatever? But I, I think Jamie I would be more inclined in that, Dov. I'd be more inclined in that than reverting back to, oh, let's just pick seven, then we'll have a contender every week. Because yeah. we've done that, we've tried yeah. that, let's move on. It needs to be something fresh if we yeah. can change it. I don't think they will. Yeah. I, I think what sums up the Clemens point more than anything else is, look, he is commercially viable. Those numbers are being thrown around. They were said on the Sky broadcast when they're on somebody else's broadcast. So the fact that those numbers are prepared to be in shared is, is record-breaking and, and there is something in it. But it is just one good run from Clemens. And as much as Jamie and a couple of us in the chat have gone, are you ready to eat humble pie? Are you ready to whatever about your prediction around Clemens? I stand by my pre-tournament decision that actually, as a seed that I would have wanted to play, Willie O'Connor and Bo Greaves were one of the nicest plays. It didn't materialise that way. And, yeah. and Clemens has massively exceeded expectations. Some of the performances have been a lot better than I believed he was capable of on TV full stop, I'll be quite honest. But I, I stand by where he started in that draw, I was still eyeing up as somebody as a, as a part of the draw that I wanted a crack at. James Wade, as a seed, as a number eight seed, was one of the only three to fall at that point. So he's had that Jim Williams match after that. Soups has taken out the number nine seed as well. So actually, the yeah. only seed he has played was was Price and then Smith, and admittedly that's one and four. But we also happened in the Gezi match as well. I don't, I don't quite think that was the the best Gezi we're going to see. I don't think he was pushed a hundred percent in any of these matches, and yet he was close in the Jim Williams game, which was just a, a ridiculous game. Full stop. Yeah. So um, so whilst he does bring in numbers and views and whatever else. There is still that point where this has opened up a little bit for him. And this is one run at one event. Well, we know last year uh, how close Fallon was to being in. Yeah. Well, the year before. So, no, contender, last year The well. year she was a contender. The year she was a contender no, 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 no. in Nottingham. Uh, she was genuinely close last year. And we know that for a fact because we heard one of the promos that was recorded by mistake. Yeah. So she was close. I think if it was 10 yeah. last year, she'd have been in. Genuinely do. Um, yeah. But just just before we move on, because he's there in my eye lungs, so I've got darts ranking up. Ryan Searle needs to change his walk on. 
needs to walk on to Peter Andre and we change the words to Mysterious Cell. Everyone was singing it in the press room. Where did that come from? Because I've got Darts rankings up and he's in my eye line and everyone was singing it in the press room when he walked on. It was like, get him to change his music. Um, right. I'll tell you what is a great Premier League walk-on. While we're at it, though. <laughs> Spandau Ballet, gold. I won't tell you one of the conversations that was, that was had during that one. <laughs> Right, uh, it's also five two. We need to do three weeks in darts and a chat room. So, well, well, well we've got something else to do first. We go, everyone, hang, hang fire. We're going into Fergie time. The board's gone up and it says ten minutes. Right, yeah. <laughs> this one, this one's over to you. That that there was an announcement. Um, it's been very, very mixed on social media between darts fans players broadcasters you name it the wdf world is going to move until december the first week in december will host the new wdf lakeside now i think it's fair to say that there are a lot of disgruntled players and it caused a lot of friction, a lot of upset, um, resulting in Richard Ashton stepping down as chief development officer. Or I'm sorry if I've got his title wrong. Um, it was an interesting few days for the WDF players. Yeah, let's let's drop it in the middle of a PDC World Championships, the biggest event of the year. Let's just drop it in right about that. Um, there's just so many parts to this statement, isn't there? There's, there's the, the move, which, if you break it down, the move to December, from a WDF perspective, I think is a very good move. I think they saw that the ADC had moved their open last year. Yes, that didn't go ahead. But then actually saw that and thought, well, we can take advantage of that not going ahead. And we can use that as our window. And I do think to part of Richard's statement was if you ignore sort of this 12 months, but look at it as a long-term vision, it being before the PDC World Championship, I think he's, a, I think he's better. I think it's, it's the right window because there isn't many other windows in the PDC where there is a opportunity. The rest of it then, then becomes very, very mixed. Um, you've just had, your second biggest event of the year, which you're going to have another one of those, the second biggest event of the year again, is going to happen before your World Championships. So you're going to have two of those. You've got announcement that players who played at the World Championship can, PDC World Championship can play at the Lightside World Championship. However, that does allude to players who have got a tortard. And then the line underneath says, if you've got a tortard, you can't play. And then there's the bit around the two-year ranting system, which for me, long-term are then I think stood. But you've got to sort out this current World Championship. You've got to let this one right first. The fact that your seeding should be set from now for the World Championship, personally, I think. Not that they are cut off in October. 
yes, the players have already qualified, but your seeding should be done at when your qualification is. That late side qualifier should be the last event before the World Championship. The PDC World Championship qualifier is the last event before the PDC World Championship. Any other tournaments, the Grand Slam qualifier, any of those are the last before that event because you've had other opportunities as well. There's just so much in there that some of it's very good personally, some of it I think is very bad. I understand the response of players. I think that the most vocal was Neil, which prompted Richard's decision. Um, I guess that Richard said was already coming anyway. It's just, I, I struggle to find positive. We've moaned about the fact that we have communications from the WDF and it doesn't have a name associated to it. This is the only one that's not a name associated to it. And then the person resigns the following day. <laughs> it's like there was something that we can hold on to. Because now the person that associated with his statement is Richard, who's no longer working with the WDF. Uh, how are we doing, Rob? Hope you are good. Weekly Darts cast is in, I'm guessing it's loud. Hope you are well. There's a couple of bits on this for me from, from both sides. I agree with you. I think long term, the move to December is potentially good. My concern is, is ticket sales the same time as the PDC because they're going to go on sale probably roughly the same sort of time as the PDC Worlds. Now, in the current climate, have people got enough disposable cash to purchase both? I, I don't know. Phil, Phil, possibly not both, but what I will say is they might be able to jump on the opportunity that the PDC sell out very, very quickly. And there's a lot of darts fans that still want yeah, darts no, in December. Yeah, I, I, that, I get that. Which, it wasn't. We've a, 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 a very, very, yeah, we've a very, very good marketing team. They might be able to jump over that, or the very, very good social media team. They might be able to jump on that opportunity of missed out on these. Come and watch this, you know. Um. Then the the, the other bit that was dipping in and out of social media. The bit that I don't particularly like is Dieter's husband and. Um, is um Paul commented on one of the posts. I think it might have been Nils, and it said along the lines of, "Well, this was decided, or we knew about this in November, because obviously Dieter's on the board." So it, by the sounds of it, this was decided before that world qualifier that 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 they knew this was happening. That this was by the comment that he put on a Facebook post that he said that we knew this was coming in November. Now, if they knew it was coming in November, like we've criticised the PDC for holding with information about the women in the world, same thing. It was false advertising for that world qualifier and the Masters because they tried to get people there to qualify for Lakeside knowing that they'd have to wait a whole year to play. That kind of doesn't sit right for me if I was a player. But, I mean, technically, they are the only ones that are now secure, aren't they? Those and anyone that's won a platinum or a gold ranking event. So, so their, their spot is secure, but it's another year where they've they've gone and well, anybody that came through that qualifier now has a decision to make. Because if they go to Q School and pick up a card, they're not allowed to go and play in something they've secured. Look, if, if you win your tour card outright and you're a qualifier uh, already, 
such as, as Rob in the chat, and I think that's a bit different. When you've yeah. specifically gone to a qualifier, thinking that that would be before or within that time, I was like, I, I just think it's it's different. And look, I, I think I'm, I'm conscious of, of it coming across as us just constantly bashing the WDF. And it's not a, a hatred of the WDF or, or anybody involved in it as well. It, it's just a desire for them to be better, to hold themselves to better and everybody else involved as well. It was so, so embarrassing to be associated with the sport whilst Des Jacklin was at the reins of the BDO, especially if you played county or Super League or, or, or a darts fan or, or in the media or anything like that. Just following the circus that followed Des Jacklin around. And it's not 100% his fault. There were a lot of things wrong with that organisation way before he ever attempted to, to take it on. But he just wanted better. And when the WF assumed control and the first couple of months, communication was that little bit better and stronger, we thought we were getting a new era for, for grassroots darts. It's not a, a not particularly nice thing to say, but actually lockdown sort of benefited them to give them time to get off the ground and, and have everything in place that they needed to structurally instead of trying to change over while all seasons are still in place, while darts is going on and the rules are changing left, right and centre. It just gave them that longer window to get everything right. And it, it looked like everything was heading in that direction, but it just seems to have unravelled far too much since then. Getting Lakeside on was a priority, but and, oh, my hands up. I said it had to go on at, at any cost just to get them involved, but actually it seems to have cost them a lot more in terms of financials and, and reputation and, and everything else that comes with it as well in terms of where they source the prize money from. And it's all just a little bit underwhelming. And actually, look, some of the announcements were pretty good and, and promising, yeah. potentially. But for players that have spent this entire season on tour, it's quite damaging. And actually, I phrased it on social media and got shot down immediately. But once I explained it a little bit more, moving to a two-year ranking system moves them away from potentially just being the amateur game and actually become a little bit of a competitor to the PDC. If your cycle follows theirs the same in terms of qualifying for world championships, etc., and you spent a year there, if I go and leave the WDF to go to Q school and I get my card, I have to start again in the PDC. If I've already got a year's worth of ranking points and I'm nicely placed and I've got another year of where I can just accumulate in that circuit and reach a world championship, much like Duzza did for a couple of years, where he understood that the payday for the entire season might not be great, but £100,000 at the end of the year, three years in a row, is very, very nice and is much better career than a lot of PDC professionals will ever have. If I've already got a year's worth of rankings next to my name, that decision to attempt to go to the PDC, start again, have to work my way up and, and have nothing next to me, no securities in terms of, TV events or anything like that because of where I'm ranked at that point might be a deterrent from people leaving the WDF to go and play in the PDC. Now, now that's not an amateur and professional relationship. That's a keeping you, that's a, an excuse or an enticement to keep you within one system instead of going to play in another. And if that happens, then they create a war again, like it was before. They do, however, Phil, with, with, with this one, the opportunity that the, the WDF players have got is 
Dayton doing play on mode of Super Series. Dayton, Ithan doing play on seniors. So it helps that sort of argument of the decision. I do get your point of being a competitor does open up that sort of us against you, where there is there's got to be some sort of communication because PDC have allowed the city players who played in the Worlds to compete at the WDF or whichever way that sort of them around. But we've seen over the past couple of years, there is a communication there. Not ideal, but there is some sort of communication there between the two. I agree with the two-year ranking system. I think it's a, it's the right move for the WDF. Um, It's just probably the timing of it. For me, you've got that you you start from the end of the World Championships. The World Championships should have been sooner. The December moves are good move, but you've, the, the qualifiers just wasn't the right thing to do. There's players who have played all year round, got themselves in the right positions, and then they've got to wait another twelve months. A lot, um, lot that, 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 really, I think there's more positive than negative in the statement. However, the the negatives do stand out very clearly. Yeah, and, and, and that's my gripe, is when you go through the social media posts that the WDF board knew this was coming in November, it's been published. It, minimum. The thing. So, minimum minute, which means discussions are in place before that. You don't just make this decision overnight. No. So they've almost conned players into going to Holland for that world qualifier and everything like that. Yeah. Um, but we don't hide away from it. We've, we've, we've spoken about it and it's it's watch this space. Right. We don't, we never leave a live land without question time. So we are going to fire some questions in chat room. Fire away. Whilst you do that, boys, what else have we missed? I mean, Q school is back, which means we're not back again on Monday because we are live streaming every single day. So our next live lounge is not for another 12 days now, 11 days. Uh, and then it will be show number 100 afterwards. So hopefully we'll get something in place for that. But look, there's a fair few names of interest going to Q school. One of them is Corey Cadby, who I believe is uh, heading to Germany. Um, I, I've been, I, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say on the numbers, but I've, I've, been given some rough numbers for Q School at the minute. And what I can say, I think, is that as it stands, the European Q School is about to have more entries than the UK Q School, which I think would be the first time ever. It'd be interesting to see how to split the... Um, the, the cards, cards because the, the UK has always had that yeah. dominance of cards based on number of entries. Was it two more last year? If I remember right, I think two or three, yeah. But yeah, from from what I've heard, it's and not massive, it's probably, but it's still a fair amount. When you when you look at it financially, there's a good amount of money difference between what the Q schools would bring in at the minute. It it links back though to what we were just talking about. There's a world championship that what seventy two players have qualified for. Yeah. How many of those 72 from the, the men's and women's side are going to be down to you still? Because it's a bit different when that decision's made when the World Championships within a few weeks, maybe a, a few months. The fact that is now 11 months away and you've got the potential to qualify for the PDC within getting your tour card, we'll be through Challenge Tour, uh, Dev, if those 
um, if you're eligible for that. It does open up. It'll be interesting to see of them 72, how many do they'll to Tewstall, how many was planning to they'll to Tewstall anyway. And, and There's players all from all around, really. And how many go... I've had a number of conversations with people who, as far as I'm aware, are going to Q School for a day or two to make themselves eligible for the Challenge Tour, but have no intention of getting a tour card, given the number yeah. of opportunities there are. If, if you're going to chase a WF, that might have changed with some people, given that the ADC mode of Super Series, if you're over 50, you've got the seniors as well. There's an awful lot there for players extended with the challenge tour that would then get them early Q school uh, pro tour call-ups now not everybody can be scott williams or robert owen next year there's not enough spots to do so but that is the aim for an awful lot of players right now and, and, and just be content with a few weekends on the challenge tour and, and see what opens up for them from there agreed um Right, let's jump into the chat room as always. Uh, Rob, no, we're not going to Q School. We're going to cover it. Um, we're going to cover it from home, though, as always. We're going to be live every day. Um, who's doing the seniors draw? It's going to be live after the final qualifier. I know Derek from Jennings Bet's doing it, but I don't know who else is. I don't know. Well, I do know, but it's... there's a potential, but there's a potential not. I know. I, I, that's why I didn't say anything because I knew it is as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think Helen might be there, but I'm not 100. percent I think Helen, yeah. Helen, and Derek from the Tart Sponsors Jennings will be there. Potentially one other, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that as it stands. Yeah, agreed. Um. Will Bahrain Masters be a car crash? I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of those prelim games could be very, very, very one-sided. We've seen that in sure the past, though. It'd just be a throwback to 10 years ago in the World Series. The yeah. only place that's ever really been competitive until three years ago was down under, and that depended on which part of... Uh, which. Australia, which side of the draw the Australian players are in. If you had Whitlock as one of your eight, nobody was really winning. Kyle and, and Damon and, and Cadby changed that a little bit. You, you saw the odd upset in North America when... What's his name? Dawson Michelle beat James Wade, etc. But there aren't millions of standout moments where players on World Series events have beaten one of the eight. I'm probably that, more worried about... What? I'm more worried about probably the standard of the eight that are diving from the PDC as well as the Bahrain qualifiers. I'm not sure we'll see the the same levels as that we used to seeing from these eight players on coming down massively from a world championship. Uh, yeah, I'm, well, I'm with you. Barney to win a TV title. <laughs> is, is, if Barney wins a TV title and the Premier League's not announced, is that a possibility? Commercially. I mean, he's only in that one. It is his one roll of the die. And if nobody else cares, they're just using it as a holiday or to gear up for Copenhagen or the Masters. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, no, Lau, I'm not going to no, Bahrain. No. I'm going to Copenhagen. Um, we looked at it, and seven days' worth of Q school was worth more than two days in Bahrain for the channel. He didn't trust so, me. He didn't trust me. Um, so, but no, he definitely didn't trust me. <laughs> you're working. Yeah, you're working. If you if, if you were available, you could have done it with him. Not a problem. Um, what Bahrain? Yeah, you could have sent me to Bahrain. The more I think about it, bugger it. If you're too important for Q school, send me. <laughs> um. So why is it called a lecture? Have you like it or not? How are you? Yeah. That, there's only one event in Amsterdam this year, though, not two. Yeah, well, I'm going. The boys want me there, don't they? <laughs> Friends. Um, uh... <laughs> I might do some exploring this year as well. Um, I don't know why a leg's called a leg. I don't know either, to be fair. Is it because when you draw it up, it looks like a table leg? I don't know. Nah. Mace is uh... in the chat room. Mace will know. He's well old. All right, Mace? <laughs> oh. He's gonna slap me tonight, he? <laughs> uh, Shane McGurk will talk hard. He's got a good chance. Shane's a very good player. Um, very, very good player. Uh, Rob, if you want to come on and do some Q school with us, mate, you're more than welcome to. Do you think Dan Reed will win a tour card? Capable, but it's tough. But he's but Dan has shown on the Super Series. He has a he has a decent A game. It's can he produce when he's not quite at that A game, but more than capable of going and getting one. Well, ten UK Open qualifier January February. Will you be there? We were talking about it in the group chat today, and we're kind of trying to make it work. But um, we're, we're trying to plan it. Uh, will the modus um, be on during Q school? Yes, it will. Um, the Super Series is available 50 weeks out of 52 in 2023. Uh, yeah, Craig, it is eight players again for the Premier League. Right, we are going to do until 20 past. So you've got three minutes to get any questions in. And then we are deep into Fergie time as it... It's not a bad way to start 2023, is it, boys? Going into overtime. <laughs> oh, too fair. You, you've done that plenty as a Man United fan, boys. So you do, give it the old... Normally with a tap, just tap the uh, tap the watch as well. It adds to it. We all know. Uh, also, Peter Wright, do you expect him to be better? I, I'm not sure, Jack. Um, I, I'm genuinely not sure where where Peter Wright's game is right now with so much going on away from darts, which is obviously his priority is making sure his family is is healthy and everything like that. So, look, it, it may take Peter a month or two to get back in the groove once everything's okay. Under or over 4.5 sets of darts, Peter to ride, P 
repeated to use on TV events are over 4.5. And that's just in one game. That's just in one game. Over, I think your over under is nine in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, Yellow Classen is going to Q School. The Cobra has played some good stuff. And, and again, there'll be a few on that WDF reserve list hoping that Yellow Classen gets a card. I think he's playing well enough. He's been one of the standout players in the WDF since we've seen glimpses in Q, uh, at the Super Series as well. I think look, being on tour is completely different, but much like Barney before and other players, when you're trying to arrest that slide, it's so much more difficult. He seems to have gone away, kicked on a bit, being out of the limelight a little bit, I think has, has helped him massively. So he's one to keep an yeah, eye on. We've got a, a Q school... Um, Preview coming on the website in a couple of days' time, so to keep an eye out on that one, a bit more in-depth on the names to look out for, especially from the UK side, uh, looking at yeah. the county, the UK DA setup, and, and the ADC, etc. Hoping said the check gets his car back. Yeah, said the check's a great player. He'd, he'd be a real asset on tour. Uh, Lakeside or Ali Pally? Uh, Ali Pally for me. <laughs> Ali Pally. That goes back to that goes back to do you prefer watching Barcelona or Tottenham? <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't. I, the lakeside is made for darts in the way it's set up. It, it's 15 years behind in history, it needs modernizing, it needs better food and drink options and whatever. But in terms of going to watch darts, if I'm there to watch the darts, I think lakeside might be the better venue. If I'm there as media, we're no internet, or I'm there on a stag do, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Well, but actually, in terms of being able to see the board and everything that goes on, that, that setup with the natural tiers built in and everything, it, it's just made for darts. It's just... Not for me. It's just dated. Like, Sorry. so dated. I think it's part of that is... Like for me, you know when it's so far gone? Like when you're about ten years behind, you're crap. But when you go beyond that ten years, actually, it's it's almost like a look back. It becomes that little bit niche. It's turning something from contemporary into I don't know what the word is. A lot of bars are going that way if, in a minute. If if I hadn't been to a venue before and someone says you can only go to one due to the history of the sport, that is probably the only time I would be picking lightside. If to, to, I've the, got no, I've got no information of what it's like inside there, as the history of the sport that would then be the venue, and I would go to it for that reason only. But for everything else, Ali Pali delivers for me. You on you. Still got now. the same carpet there that was there when I went to watch Colin Monk in the semi-final against Raymond Van Barneveld. Still got the same photos on the walls. Oh, don't, 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 don't go into those photos, Christ. Well, they need changing. Yeah, clearly it's like rogue. It's like a rogue's gallery. Half of them are now on the register. Old photos, though. <laughs> um, right, everyone. Thank you very, very much 
for the support this evening. We say it was a bit of an impromptu live lounge because we needed to get the world all boxed off. But from me and the whole team, thank you very, very much for the support that you guys gave us across the world. And I still can't believe somehow we've done nearly 4 million views on TikTok across the world. Not quite sure we've done that, boys. Uploading stuff and waiting for it to happen. I mean, I'm happy with it. 30k subscribers on YouTube because that's the guys we're talking to right now. Yeah. Like, like everybody in the chat right now, we would not be there. So a massive, massive thank you to all of you guys for that yeah. as well. Hopefully, we continue to grow at a similar rate throughout this year. Um, we want to keep getting bigger and better. And the graphics will change on this. I think the plan is for after the hundredth show, isn't it? We've already started transitioning yeah, the, gonna, the thumbnail, but we're gonna look at aesthetically what we can do with this show try and do a little bit more in person now that i can play taxi to mr boyce can you make sure you wear a suit and a tie every time you beat me up please <laughs> don't, don't worry <laughs> does, I can does that make you lady penelope the problem is you'll wear a shirt and tie that to mine and i'll have to iron it for you you know it works <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you come into every seniors event next year just to be my mining bitch. Yeah, honestly, at seniors events, these two are a lovely little, cute little couple. Boise does all the ironing. Um, but from everyone, thank you very, very much. Remember, the Super Series returns tomorrow, and we will be live on Monday morning for the first day of Q School, myself and Gob. And by the sounds of it, the list of um, people that want to jump in and get involved is getting rather, rather long. Two current pros in Robert Owen and John O'Shea have offered their services along with the other team. I know Dan's desperate to jump on as well. So it is all good. Look, we have been on Nine Darts. I'm in Phil Bars, Jack Garwood, Lee Boyce, and all you guys at home watching. Thank you very, very much. Enjoy your Wednesday or what's left of it. And we'll see you all very, very soon. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.